how to work out the risk of your investment trusts, why Japanese markets could provide income as well as capital growth, and the latest on Standard Life UK smaller companies merger with Dunedin smaller companies. Welcome to Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Emma Ajman, Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle, and joining me today are Leonora Walters, Personal Finance Editor at the Investors Chronicle, and Richard Aston, Manager of CC Japan Income and Growth Trust. Now, CC Japan Income and Growth Trust launched in December 2015, and it aims to provide a dividend income along with capital growth by investing in equities listed in Japan. It currently has a yield of 2.3%. But Richard, income is not typically something you think about um, when investing in Japan. So why is it such a key part of your investment aim? I think we found that uh, companies in Japan began offering more attractive dividends after their financial crisis. It was the first time we were able to identify individual companies with valuations that were comparable, if not superior, to the international peer group. So what changed in the financial crisis? Why why was that change take place? Um, Companies, I think, were awash with cash and individually companies took the decision to distribute more to their shareholders. That was very, very different from the attitudes they had maybe even 10, 15 years before that. In combination, as we've seen subsequently with components of Prime Minister Abe's third arrow growth strategy, offering an environment where investors are able to communicate with companies in a, in a more attractive manner through the introduction of a stewardship code and corporate governance code, very similar to the ones we have here in the UK. OK. And has that mostly been driven by um, Prime Minister Abe or have there been ever any other drivers change in this corporate culture? There have been uh, numerous components. I do think those are the most important because it is, it is allowing uh, an opportunity for investors that hasn't existed before. But also we look at new indices that have been introduced with, with dividend as an important component or improved corporate governance, all of which are putting increasing pressures on, on corporate management. And are you finding that Japanese companies are paying more dividends than they have in the past then? Yes, definitely more, more companies are paying dividends, but probably more, more important than that, companies are paying much, much greater attention to the dividends, offering a dividend that will rise um, in periods of prosperity and very importantly, I think, a, 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 the opportunity for a stable dividend in tougher periods. And what kind of companies do you tend to look for then? I mean, is, is income um, the main focus when you're considering investing? It, it, it is. We look at right across the market, so both in terms of size and across all sectors. And we do find interesting opportunities um, in, in all areas. Um, but we do focus very much on the quality component of the individual companies, both in terms of their business prospects, their balance sheet, which is very, very important, but primarily those companies that we can see have demonstrated and have demonstrated a strong uh, commitment to their shareholders in recent years. And obviously we expect that to continue. And are there any particular sectors that you're finding more opportunities in? Um, The the analysis is very much on bottom-up basis, so company by company, but I think there are characteristics in certain sectors that that are uh, more appealing. And when we look at the portfolio in aggregate, we believe that we are focused on the sectors where Japan has maintained international competitiveness. So areas um, such as consumer discretionary autos, uh, as one example, um, areas where Japan has world-leading companies. Um, so what kind of examples can you... Um, well, one of the re- recent acquisitions is a company called Secom, which is a, a security um, services provider. Um, very, very strong domestic um, position, um, increasingly 
expanding that expertise in, into other markets of the world. And um, it does have all of the characteristics that we, that we look for. A very, very strong balance sheet, surplus cash on, on, on the balance sheet, good growth prospects. It's grown consistently for a number of years. And now with the added boost, I think, of, of international growth as well. And you mentioned growth prospects. How big a component of that is part of your investment decision compared to the income profile of the company? Um, It's very, very important, the growth component in in the analysis. We're looking for companies that will continue to grow, can fund that growth through internal cash flow, but also have surplus cash flow that they generate that they can distribute in a more appropriate way to their shareholders. I mean, it sounds like Japan is actually going through quite a good time at the moment. What do you think are the main risks to um, you know your investments done Japan, Japanese market in general. Yeah, we do. We do feel Japan is very attractive actually for investors at the at the moment. It's had a strong period of, of economic growth. There are these fundamental changes, a very p- a stable political environment. Obviously, any of those could could change. Th- those would be notable risks. But I would say, as an individual single risk, I think global growth is probably the most important. We could also you know, look at political risk um, with Prime Minister Abe facing um, re-election for LDP coming up later this month and individual company risk. But um, in terms of a, a single risk, probably global growth. OK. And what do you think could lead to problems in global growth? What are the main risks that could affect that? Well, so we're currently very concerned globally about the implications of, of trade wars. That does seem to be the single... Um, most identifiable risk, and we're, you know we're seeing that today with with uh, concerns about uh, emerging markets and, and currencies. And do you think Japan's more exposed to that than say other um, companies because they does have so many exporting companies? Uh, Japan is is definitely exposed to that as a, more of a secondary impact. It does have domestic growth prospects, but I, I don't feel that those are strong enough um, on their own to offset any strong downturn overseas. So how do you kind of protect against the risk of that in the companies that you choose? Um, we, we tend to look for companies that we believe can grow over time. Um, so there are companies that maybe have some exposure to, to international growth, but they are, tend to be companies that we can see are in strong uh Market, have, have very, very strong market positions and will continue to grow. I mentioned earlier about companies that have international competitiveness and we've seen companies of that with that characteristic continue to perform um, throughout a cycle. And um, that's great, but what do you look for um, or what are the reasons you would sell a stock? So um, what are the reasons that you think actually this isn't a good okay. stock to stick with? Um, uh, there are two main reasons why we'd sell a stock. One is based on the fundamentals. So, um, you know, we, look, we are looking for companies with strong growth prospects. If there is any change that we detect um, or identify in that regard, then it's usually a reason for us to, to sell the stock. Um, the second is based purely on, on valuation. We, we are aiming to offer investors in the trust an attractive uh, yield. Um, and there are times when stocks individually don't uh, necessarily offer us the, the yield that uh, will allow us to build a, a single yield for the, for investors. So um, even though the fundamentals might not have changed, it's a purely valuation-driven decision. And do you have any examples of stocks you've sold recently? Yeah, there's one one probably good example, a company called Solasto, which is a medical service provider in Japan. Um, the stock was listed um, about two years ago with a very, very attractive yield. 
However, the stock had performed very, very well. The yield was significantly lower than the market, and we felt that the valuation did not uh, justify the, the growth that we were expecting. So that, that was a purely valuation-driven decision. Nothing wrong with the fundamentals of the company. Okay. Um, now, currency movements, I know, can make a big difference to um, investors when they invest in overseas. And um, your fund doesn't actually hedge currency. So why is this? Um, the, the board do feel that it's um, more appropriate, I think, for investors in the trust to look at their overall portfolio and consider currency risk on, on that basis. Um, from a fund manager's point of view, it's obviously very, very difficult to, to hedge um, given the complexities of the individual companies. So, for example, most of the companies that, that we invest in hedge costs, they hedge some of their assets. Um, so it'd be very, very difficult to determine that the most uh, relevant amount of hedging to have on the portfolio. I'd also say, from a, again, from a longer-term perspective, the companies that we, we seek to invest in are companies that have committed to increasing their dividend in line with the underlying performance of their business. So not the yen reported figure, but the underlying performance ex currencies. So to some extent, we feel that the dividend um, is is hedged anyway because of that, that, that those characteristics in the companies. Okay, so um, do you do anything different to handle currency risk? And- um, I suppose the only area that we we feel it is appropriate to do that is on on the dividend, so more shorter term currency fluctuations. So we hedge the uh, dividend receipts, the dividends we receive from the company when we receive them, and that gives us greater clarity on the dividend we are able to deliver. I'd also say that we, or the board, um, do look to to build a reserve within the trust, and this allows them to smooth the dividend profile over time to some extent, offsetting any short-term currency movements. Thanks very much, Richard. And we will be looking at Japan in another article for next week's magazine, and in see this week's magazine for an article we've written on how to mitigate currency risk. Standard Life UK Smaller Companies Trust is in plans to merge with Dunedin Smaller Companies and its latest set of results has shown that it has achieved another strong year. So Leonora, how did the trust perform over the year? The trust has done very well again. It made a net asset value total return of 25% over its last financial year. That's to the 30th of June 2018. And it made a share price total return of 18%. And this is against 8.8% for numerous smaller companies plus AIM excluding investment companies index. Okay, but that, you know, one year is still quite a short time. But how has the manager of this trust, Harry Nemo, who's been running it for more than a decade, what's the long-term performance he's achieved over that time? Harry Nemo has um, a very strong long-term track record. Um, he runs this and he runs some open-ended funds as well. And they've made some really good returns. Just taking as an example some longer figures for the investment trust, it's made a net asset value total return of 107% over five years in contrast to the FTSE small cap index and numerous smaller companies index, which respectively made returns of 56 and 58%. And this is largely driven by his ability to pick stocks rather than you know any sector allocation. He is, he is a very good stock picker. For example, over the investment trust's last financial year, the returns are particularly driven by um, three of his holdings, Fever Tree Drinks, NMC Health and um, Midwich. So that all sounds good news for the investors of Dunedin Smaller Companies, who, as I mentioned, their assets are going to be rolled into Mr Nemo's trust. 
Um, so did the board provide any more detail about the merger and its latest set of results? They didn't provide a great deal. I mean, there's obviously, um, you know, there's some details to be made public, which you can see in the trust filings. But basically, they said they're going to release more details over coming weeks. And there's going to be a general meeting for shareholders well on the 3rd of October. The merger is obviously not certain. I think shareholders in both the trusts would um, need to agree to this. What we do know is, and what's certainly good news for Standard Life UK smaller companies shareholders, is that the trust board has negotiated a lower investment management fee. Now, previously, the trust had a tiered structure that was charged on assets, including the trust's borrowing, which is known as gearing with an investment trust. It'll now charge a fee on net assets, which excludes the gearing. And it's also introduced an additional tier, which would bring costs further down. So since the 1st of July 2018, the fee is 0.85% of your net assets up to 250 million, 0.65% up to 550 million and 0.55% on anything above. Okay, well, that sounds like good news. Thanks very much, Leonora, and see our full reports on Standard Life UK Smaller Companies Trust results and the upcoming merger on the website and this week's magazine. Now, sticking with investment trusts, an Investors Chronicle reader recently got in touch asking why we describe Lord Debenture Corporation, which is an investment trust, as high risk. Um, Leonora, why did the reader query our description of this trust? Well, what this reader couldn't understand was, you know, why a fund could be high risk. He thought that if you invest directly in shares, that's high risk and a fund is automatically lower or medium risk just because it's a fund, which is obviously totally not the case. Um, just because an investment is a collective fund doesn't mean it's low or medium risk. The only low risk investment is cash or maybe UK or US government bonds. And medium risk, well, let's say high quality bond fund, perhaps an absolute return fund. Equities are high risk. Now, you maybe got one point right. Funds are lower risk than direct equity shareholdings in one respect. A fund holds a basket of securities, maybe equities or bonds. If one of them goes wrong, it's got all the others to rely on. Um, so hopefully, even if you know one investment has a share price plunge, um, all the others will do well. So the fund's overall return is going to be okay. If you own one share, there's a binary outcome. It does well or it doesn't. And if it messes up on all your money's in that, you know, you're stuffed, to be, to be um, quite blunt about it. Other than that, a fund's risk largely depends on what it invests in. And um, Lord Bench Corporation, the, um, the investment trust in question, invests in equities. Now, equities are potentially volatile, high-risk asset class, whether you invest in them directly or via a fund. And that's the reason why many investors chronicle equity fund tips are labelled as high risk because they invest in a high risk asset and equity funds can be very volatile depending on the types of equities they invest in and market conditions. Okay, but are there any other attributes that make, say, investment trust higher risk than um, open-ended funds? Yeah, I mean, investment trusts um, themselves are also listed on the stock market. Um, so they are basically like a, a share um, and the share price... Uh, return can be fairly volatile. So even if um, an investment trust assets are doing very nicely, if for whatever reason, market sentiment, um, you know, sort of investor whim, um, 
the the share price doesn't necessarily reflect the net asset value, and that's the reason why investment trusts can trade at discounts or premiums to NAV. And Lord Debenture Corporation is is currently trading at quite a, a wide discount to NAV at the moment, um, and you do need to consider that because as um, uh, an investor, an investment trust, you get unfortunately you get the share price return, you don't get the um, NAV return. And you also mentioned gearing. Can that also have an impact? Um, yes, it does. I mean, gearing, um, as we mentioned earlier, is um, debt. Um, and if investment trust takes on debt um, and invests it into more assets that do well, it can do even better. But um, if it invests it into assets that go down, that can compound its returns. Okay. It's, sorry, that can compound its losses. So gearing can be very risky in a falling market. It can um, make make the, 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 the investment trust fall, you know, even more than the market. And um, does this trust investment style have an impact? Because I know that um, James Henderson has got quite a contrarian investment style, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the whole point. You know, he's a contrarian. He doesn't follow the herd um, and he doesn't necessarily pick what's popular. And generally what's popular at that moment will be going up. You know, but he looks for things that, you know, might do well in future, that perhaps are priced better. But contrarian funds go through the long periods of underperformance. That's great. Thanks very much, Leonora. That brings us, unfortunately, to the end of today's show. But you can read more on Standard Life UK Smaller Companies merger and other investment trusts on the website and in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle. Thank you for listening and have a great weekend. At Airbus, we bring the world together. Our aircraft connects communities, facilitating cross-cultural communication. Our satellite technology enables communication across the world and allows us to explore space, expanding human knowledge to create a better future on Earth. At Airbus, we're pioneering sustainable aerospace for a safe and united world. Learn more at Airbus.com.